welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. Many of you know I'm a financial advisor helping people 50 and older plan for a successful retirement. In fact, we work with clients in almost 20 different states plan for their own version of a dream retirement. And we find that when you're planning for retirement and you're looking at your different resources, maybe it's an old 401k, maybe it's an IRA, a Roth IRA, they all have different rules. What about social security or pension planning? All different resources with different rules. So we try to use this podcast as a helpful resource for people where they can get the information they're looking for. Best of all, this podcast is not a podcast where we're trying to sell you anything. You see so many different pitches, people trying to sell you an annuity, or maybe it's a this fancy mutual fund that can only go up in value. Yeah, right. We live in a world of misinformation. There's so much bad information out there, and more and more, everybody has an opinion on everything. <laughs> In this day and age, it's crazy. So we try to use this podcast, like I said, as a resource where you can learn without any sales pitch or anything like that, trying to steer you one way or the other. We're trying to give you the information so you can learn and apply this knowledge to your own planning and retirement. We also use stories and analogies on this podcast quite often so you're not confused by all the different jargon that we use in in the financial industry. There's an old Native American proverb that I love. Tell me a fact and I'll learn. Tell me a truth and I'll believe. Tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. People remember stories. Everybody loves a good story and it's a great way to learn. I'm sure you had professors or teachers in your life that were great storytellers and you remember their stories and and the life lessons, well, they stick with you. So that's why we try to use stories and analogies on this podcast because everybody loves a good story. It's a great way to remember and teach the basic principles that we're trying to get across. Now, I know many listeners have visited our website retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. Again, that's retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. Their listeners have submitted their questions, and I wanted to use a lot of the questions I've been getting over the last six or eight weeks from listeners, and hopefully I can share the answers or my perspective anyway on some of these topics that people find themselves confused about. So, We're going to talk about all the questions you have from the past six or eight weeks. Again, thank you to all the listeners that have visited my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I've had some emails from people, and that's okay too. My email address is right there on the website, so I'm easy to find and easy to contact, and I'd love to help you. At the bottom of the website, it says, ask Greg a question, or you can email me. Either is, is perfectly fine. Now, this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast is episode number 66. So a lot of these questions, the answers to these questions, I have talked about in previous episodes, but I don't expect someone to go through every single episode. If you want, yes, there's 65 other episodes where your answer may be already found, but 
sometimes you got to hear it a couple times before it sinks in. So we're going to talk about all these questions and more on today's episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. So let's jump right in. Question number one, it comes from Jennifer. And I've talked about her question is, is very good. It's, it's very interesting as far as 401ks, the match, vesting, and all that good stuff. But Jennifer emailed in, wanted to know if I could explain the match. And she was under the impression where if you roll over your old 401k from a former employer, that the match would apply to that rollover. So let me make this real life here. Let's say Jennifer had a million dollars in a, I like to use round numbers to keep it simple, right? So a million dollars in a former 401k for you know an old company she used to work for. Let's say she rolls that million dollars into her new 401k with her new employer and they offer a 5% match. She was told, or someone told her, that that million dollars would come over and she would get that match, 5% of a million dollars is $50,000. So she said, why wouldn't I roll that old 401k into the new 401k and get that full match? Well, unfortunately, Jennifer, the match does not apply to rollover money that came from a former 401k or something like that. It's only, the match only applies to your current contributions from your paycheck while you're working for your new company. So in other words, let's make it simple. Let's say Jennifer with her new company earned $100,000. Again, round number. The way the match would work is, let's say it's 100% of the first 5%. So for the first $5,000, 5% of 100,000 that Jennifer contributes to her new 401k, her company would match that dollar for dollar. So again, I'm kind of glad and you'll never see rollover money from an old 401k into your new 401k. That money is never going to be matched. I think that would kind of incentivize people to switch companies to another company that has a good match and then not stay there long and then roll it over again to get another match. And then there's also in Jennifer's question, she wanted me to explain the vesting schedule and how that worked for the match. There's many different vesting schedules that employers can choose from, right? But most commonly, it's a five-year, 20% per year. So in my example, Jennifer's new company matches 5%. You'll see why I did this. A typical matching schedule will be 20, 40, 60, 80, And then in the fifth year, you would be 100% vested. So meaning if Jennifer left in year two, well, she would only be 20% vested and she would only be able to keep in her 401k 20%. If she left in year three, well, before her third anniversary with the company, she would be 40% vested. So the money that the company matched, she would only be able to keep 40% of it. So why the vesting schedule is there is to keep people employed with the same company. It's kind of incentivizing people to stay long-term, at least work five years for a company. There are other vesting schedules that vest after three years. So every company, again, might be different, have a different vesting schedule. So 
keep that in mind. It's a great question to ask when you're in that hiring process with a new employer. What is your vesting schedule? What is the match? What does that look like? I know that can be confusing for a lot of people. The next question comes from Mike. Mike asks about the 10% early withdrawal penalty from IRAs and 401ks. And he said, I want to withdraw money out of my 401k, but I'm not going to be 59 and a half when I retire. Is there any getting around that 10% early withdrawal penalty? How would I do it? So the 10% early withdrawal penalty is for people that want to draw money out of their 401k or IRA prior to 59 and a half. So Mike, for your IRA, if you're going to withdraw money, let's say you're 58, you want to retire and start drawing income off of your traditional IRA. The only way to do it without a 10% penalty is if you have a special exception like disability or something like that, medical expenses, if that money is being used for that, you might be able to. The other exception is something called a 72T. It is popular. So check that out with your CPA. Again, it's called a 72T. What it essentially does is it forces you to, in my example, your 58, you would draw out equal amounts for the next five years, Mike, in that example. So it's either five years or until you turn 59 and a half, whichever is longer. So in other words, Mike, if you drew $10,000 a year out of your IRA and you claimed under 72T, again, your tax advisor would help you with this, you would have to do that same amount for five years to escape the 10% early withdrawal penalty. With 401ks, there is more flexibility there, and this is a rule that not very many people know, but if you retire between 55 and 59 and a half, your 401k, as long as you leave it there with the company that you retired from, in other words, let's say Mike is 58, he works for Boeing, which is a huge employer here in St. Louis, Missouri. Let's say Mike retires from Boeing, his retirement assets, the majority of them are in his Boeing 401k. He retires from Boeing at age 58. He can actually, as long as he leaves the money in the Boeing 401k, he can withdraw money out without that 10% penalty. Yes, he would pay state and federal taxes, but he had to leave it in the company in which he retired from. And it can't be an old 401k that you had somewhere else. Let's say he worked at Anheuser-Busch back in the day. He wouldn't have that same ability. You have to have retired between 55 and 59 and a half from this company. So in other words, if you retired at 54 from Boeing, you wouldn't have this ability. So I hope that helps you, Mike. Those are really the only exceptions out of that 10% early withdrawal penalty. And again, this is why there's different rules for Roth IRAs and brokerage accounts that you might have. Those allow a lot more flexibility without potentially that 10% penalty. But your question was more in line of IRAs and 401ks. So I hope that helps you, Mike. There is no sense in paying the IRS a 10% early withdrawal penalty. There's just better planning that you can do without leaving the IRS a big tip like that. There's workarounds, so to speak. So you want to plan ahead and make sure you have other options. Along with this, I had another question 
from Tammy. And Tammy said, does the 10% early withdrawal penalty apply to beneficiary IRAs? Tammy said she's 56, just inherited an IRA from her mom, and she doesn't want to pay that 10% early withdrawal penalty. Well, Tammy, you're in luck. The 10% early withdrawal penalty does not apply to what we call beneficiary IRAs. So when you inherit from an IRA from your aunt or uncle, mom or dad, brother and sister, or maybe it was a friend. So you could be 45 years old, inherit mom or dad's IRA, and you would take withdrawals. Again, you would be subject to state and federal income taxes, right, on the withdrawals because it was an IRA. But... Even though you're 45, you would not have that 10% early withdrawal penalty because it's a beneficiary IRA. I know we've talked about this on uh, past episodes of the Retirement Made Easy podcast, but the rules for different accounts are different. In other words, the rules for your 401k are going to be different than the rules for your beneficiary IRA or your Roth IRA or your traditional IRA. They're all different. In other words, let me give you a perfect example. With Roth IRAs, there is no required minimum distribution if it's your own Roth IRA, meaning at no point in the future does the IRS say, okay, you are required to take distributions out of your Roth IRA. But the same is not true for a Roth 401k. There are required minimum distributions that start at age 72 for Roth 401ks. So again, the IRS, our tax code does not make this planning simple at all. And you kind of got to stay on top of it or have an advisor, either a tax advisor or a financial advisor who stays on top of this stuff and keeps you informed. And another thing I really don't like about the IRS is they come up with this 59 and a half. Why is it 59 and a half? Why is it age 60 or just age 59? What is that extra six months? It it doesn't make sense to me. And there's been some bills that have tried to be passed and been proposed of changing that rule 59 and a half. And I really do think at some point that will get changed. The required minimum distributions prior to the SECURE Act, you had to start taking distributions from your pre-tax IRA, 403B, 401k once you hit 70 and a half, age 70 and a half. And now it's been pushed back to age 72. And there has been talk of pushing that back even further to age 75. So as far as rule 59 and a half, that is probably going to be changed at some point. That's just my opinion. I would hope that some of these bills pass into law. I just think that 59 and a half is such an obscure number. And there's so many things that, whether it's Social Security or federal government, they just don't understand. So COBRA is 18 months. So for someone that is retiring early before they're eligible for Medicare at age 65, that means if they retired at age 63 and a half, they could essentially then jump on COBRA for 18 months, have the same insurance they'd had while they were working, and then at 65, they would automatically qualify for Medicare. Well, A lot of people, the average retirement age in this country is age 62. So why is COBRA not 36 months? And then that would bridge the gap between 62 and 65. 62 meaning the first year you could collect Social Security 
the most popular age that people do collect Social Security, and age 65 when they are eligible for Medicare. Wow, we did something here, a little experiment that actually made sense. If COBRA did last for 36 months, three years, that could bridge that gap fully between when people actually do statistically retire and when they're eligible for Medicare. And that leads me into my last question, which was from Joan. She says, Greg, what words of wisdom do you have for me and my husband? My husband is going to retire next year at age 64, and I am a year behind him. I'm 63. He wants to collect his Social Security benefit right away at 64 because he doesn't want to miss out on any money. I worked not as much as my husband, but my benefit is greater than one half of his benefit at full retirement age. So she's talking about the spousal benefit here. So my plan was to wait until full retirement age and collect my benefit. What would you say to me and my husband? Well, there's a lot of information that's missing, meaning what other resources are you living on? But let's say you delayed your husband's social security benefit next year and you delayed your own. Where's your income going to come from? So maybe your husband has a pension that we're not even talking about here. Maybe you have a 401k or a Roth IRA or traditional IRAs that you can draw income on off of for a few years until his social security starts, until you decide to claim his social security. Conventional wisdom is the higher of the two benefits. There is what's called a survivor benefit, which I've talked about on this podcast. So if one of you predeceases the other, typically what happens is the lower benefit drops off, the higher benefit continues. So it sounds like your husband has the higher of the two benefits. So some people would argue that it makes more sense to collect the lower benefit first. That way, you're letting the larger benefit defer, which is a higher dollar value. And so it's going up, let's say it's going up 6% a year on average. You're allowing that bigger dollar amount to defer and you get more dollar benefit out of letting it grow. The other argument that I would have is men typically are older in a marriage, not all the time, but statistically that's what happens in a marriage. Sometimes they're the same age, sometimes the wife is actually older, but more times than not, it's the husband who's a little older. And not only that, women live longer. So if a woman is younger in a marriage, and we know statistically women live anywhere from three to five years longer than men, depending on what study or data that you look at, well, we know, okay, the husband should probably be more concerned about his surviving spouse, his wife outliving him, and that there being enough resources for her. So if we're concerned about that, then conventional wisdom would say, okay, we're going to defer the higher of the two benefits, which would mean her husband's benefit, we would want to delay his so that she would one day have a survivor benefit that was as high as possible. Now, she did not mention in her email how close their social security benefits were. She just said that she worked quite a bit, not as much as her husband, and didn't have those years of service. So that's something that I would look at. Look at your benefits, see how close it is to your husband's, and you might end up having to delay your benefit more than you were anticipating if he was claiming his earlier than you had originally planned. So Joanne, there was so much that's kind of left out. The other pieces of the puzzle are what other resources do you have? 
as far as retirement accounts that you could draw off of or live off of instead of claiming Social Security for the first couple of years of retirement. Hopefully, if your husband had a pension or you had an old pension, that would be another source of income. And then there's also part-time income to consider. But also keep in mind, if someone is under their full retirement age, there's kind of earnings limits upon which you can earn while collecting Social Security. So keep that in mind. It's around $19,000 for 2021. So I hope that's been helpful. If you have questions or want more specific advice, we can schedule a phone meeting and talk more about it. So while Joanne's question was a fantastic question, I kind of have to talk in generalities just because there's sometimes questions when there's information that's left out. It's just really hard to give general advice, so to speak. So I hope that's been helpful. And to all the listeners, if you have questions, again, visit my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I'm going to do another one of these next week. Episode number 67 will be more Q&As. So tune in next week. And remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The SmartVestor program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor SmartVestor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC.